Good evening and welcome again. We're glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming back. Appreciate so much you being here. I know that you had options tonight, but we're glad you came here. I know that for a lot of folks tonight, Super Bowl night, big night, but we're glad that you made the choice to be here and thank you for that. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and we're going to be looking at chapter 11 in addition to going back and noting some passages in the book of Genesis. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the faith of Abraham and Sarah. And so as we think about the faith of Abraham and Sarah, we continue our series of studies on some of the key individuals that are spoken of in Scripture. It won't be long. We'll be looking at some New Testament characters. And really, if you look at the outline, we go back and forth. Old Testament, New Testament, then back to the old, then back to the new again. And so we're trying to break it up, a little bit of variety. But tonight we think about the faith of Abraham and Sarah. And one of the things that maybe we ought to stress at the onset of our study tonight, it has to do with the tremendous faith that these two people demonstrated in their lives. And ultimately the foundation, that is the promise of God to bring the Messiah into the world, rested upon their shoulders. And if you go back and look at the scriptures, there are key individuals through whom the promise, that is the promised seed, ultimately came to fruition. And so tonight we're going to be thinking about Abraham and Sarah. So pick up with me in chapter 11 tonight of the book of Hebrews. I want to begin our study, first of all, talking about the call. And beginning in verse 8, four times... In this summation, so to speak, of Abraham and Sarah and their lives of faith, four times the expression is used, by faith. And I want to encourage you to go back and read the record. They manifested faith and obedience day in and day out. Not to say they were fallible, or rather infallible. They had their share of mistakes in life, but nonetheless... They were two great pillars of faith, and God used them in a mighty way. So look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the promise. Now, if you go back and look at Genesis chapters 11 and 12, you remember the Bible tells us that Abraham, his family, they lived in the Ur of the Chaldees. And they were called upon by God to begin a migration to ultimately the promised land. And they began that track at the age of 75, at least that's the age of Abraham. Sarah would have been about 65 years of age. And in the context, in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham in the long ago, he was to leave his country his family, and his father's household. And he said, I want you to come into the land that I'll show you, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. He said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then in verse 3, he made this statement. In you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Now, God made that promise to Abraham through whom the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 would emerge. And so Abraham becomes a vital link in the chain. Matter of fact, Abraham becomes the father of the Hebrew nation. 
And so Abraham and Sarah play a very vital role in the coming of the Messiah. And so in chapter 12, we have God making this promise. Ultimately, this promise was realized in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You remember, for example, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul said that we're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of us have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, and he said there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. And he said if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And so the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 and following, was ultimately realized in the Christ. That means those of us who have obeyed the gospel, that have submitted to the will of Almighty God, we are the heirs of the promise that was made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. It's quite a thought. Now, having said that, note if you would, I want you to look for a moment over in Genesis chapter 15 for a moment. I think about the call of Abraham, but then there's another thought here. In chapter 15, and I wish we had time to explore this lesson in greater depth, greater detail, but we just don't have the time tonight. But in chapter 15, there's some confusion on the part of Abraham. Now, you remember, God had promised him that through him, ultimately, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, Abraham at 75 had been promised that an heir would come forth. And so in chapter 15, there's no heir. And the only heir in his house is a fellow by the name of Eliezer of Damascus. And so in verse 1, listen to what the record says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one shall come forth from your own body. This is the one ultimately that will be the heir. And then God took Abram outside and said, Here's what I want you to do. Look up into the heavens. You see all those stars? Count them. And then here's what the Lord said. Count the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. Now listen to what's said in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham demonstrated from the very onset a tremendous faith in Almighty God. His life was marked, and as well as Sarah's, was marked by faith and obedience. Abraham in his heart of hearts, could not see how ultimately God would achieve this promise. But through the eye of faith, he believed Almighty God. And so in chapter 15, you remember the Bible tells us that the Lord appeared in a vision to Abram, and he told him that his descendants would be strangers in a foreign land. In that foreign land, they would be afflicted for about 400 years, and then they would later come out with substance, great substance. They would be the recipients of what we call the promised land, that land that would be flowing with milk and honey. So now, look at chapter 17 for a moment. In chapter 17, we have some clarification given to Abraham concerning this promise 
that through his seed line all nations of the earth would be blessed. And so down in chapter 17, Abraham is now, Abraham is now 99 years of age. Almost 25 years have passed. Now you just think, God has made a promise. And you have been walking by faith day in and day out, Sarah as well. And God has said, you're going to have a child, you're going to have offspring. No offspring, no heir. And now God appears. And so in chapter 17, God, here's what God says to Abraham, this great patriarch of the past. In chapter 17, the Lord said, I'm almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Again, re-emphasizing this grand promise that had been made some 25 years earlier. He changed his name to Abraham. But look at verse 6. In verse 6, God said, I will make you an exceedingly fruitful I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Now we talk about the kingly descent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go back and trace the record, that seed line ran through Abraham and later Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And out of those 12 tribes, ultimately the Christ would come through the tribe of Judah. And then later, according to Samuel in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jesus would descend through the loins of David. And David became the most esteemed, the highest esteemed king in the history of the Israelite nation. Ultimately, though, the Christ would emerge, King Jesus. And Paul acknowledged that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so here you have a prophecy of not only the redemptive, the redemptive plan of God fulfilled in Christ, but that great seed line as well. In chapter 17, you remember God institutes the covenant of circumcision. That covenant was a sign or seal of God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And so drop down, look at verse 17 very quickly. In verse 17, the Bible says, well, look at verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I'll bless her and also give you a son by her. I'll bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Abraham fell on his face, laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years of age? And Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. I mean, you think about that for a minute. Abraham and Sarah, in the sunset years of their life, in their lives, and God is saying that I'm going to bless you with a child. And ultimately, that child was born. Turn over, if you would, now to chapter 18. I want you to see another thing associated with this. Drop down and look, if you would. You remember in verse 16, God was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God had every intention of destroying those cities. Abraham, however, intervened on behalf of the people of Sodom and begged God to spare them. But look, if you would, at verse 17. God said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? 
since Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Again, God is saying that Abraham is the one through whom all families, all nations of the world will be blessed. God thought a lot of Abraham, didn't He? Now having said that, turn back to Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment. As we contemplate the great promises of God, particularly the promise to Abraham and Sarah, the text tells us, affirms for us, that Isaac was indeed later born. But I want you to go back and look at Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see something beginning in verse, note if you would, verse 13. The text says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. God, again, promised Abraham and Sarah a child. That child was ultimately, ultimately born when Abraham was 100 years of age, Sarah at the age of about 90. And God had all these promises that He would bring to fruition through this patriarch. They never got to see the Christ in the flesh, did they? Never did. But they believed in the promise. Do you remember, for example, in John chapter 8? Jesus there is engaged in a series of conversations with the Jews of His day, unbelieving Jews. And Jesus said down in about verse 39 that if they were children of Abraham, He said, you'd do the works of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham demonstrated faith in God and he also manifested an obedient heart. But he goes on to say down in about verse 56 that Abraham rejoiced to see my day and Jesus said, and he saw it and was glad. Well, how in the world did Abraham, this patriarch who lived 2,000 years before the Christ came into the world, how could he have ever seen the Christ? I can tell you how. Through the eye of faith. I have never laid eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never seen him, touched him, heard his voice verbally, but I believe in him. How can I put my faith or belief in the Christ? Well, the only way that I can is I've got to put my faith in what the Word of God says. It's called faith. Now, Paul said, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. This morning in our study, we looked at John 20, 30 and 31. And John has written a gospel narrative of the Christ. And as I indicated, seven signs, seven I am statements in the book of John. And John said, many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so John, by inspiration, anticipated the fact that there would be future generations that would never have the opportunity to see firsthand the miracles of Christ. We don't have that luxury, do we? 
And yet Jesus said in John 5, 36, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father sent me. So when I read the book of John, and I begin sifting through the evidence, I can draw the conclusion that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. Just as Abraham, through the eye of faith, could see the Christ, the Son of God. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul would say in about verse 7, matter of fact, turn if you would to Galatians 3. I want you to see something here because I think it's significant in light of our study. And you might want to just make a little notation. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, in verse 7, he said that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Well, what kind of faith did Abraham demonstrate? Faith and obedience. The Jews, they boasted in the law. Matter of fact, you can go back and read the book of John. You can read the book of Romans in chapter 3. They thought because they had the law, they were okay. And what they did, they severed the law from faith. And yet it took faith and, and obedience to the law in order to enjoy the promises made through that law. So Paul here, and Paul deals with Judaizing teachers, but he said, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Now go back again, look at John chapter 8, verse 39. When Jesus said to the Jews of His day, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham lived a life of faith. Now look at verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify all nations, listen to Him, by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. What? Abraham was the father of the Hebrew nation. And ultimately, those of us today who are in Christ, as I mentioned a moment ago in Galatians 3, we are the heirs according to the promise that had been made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. And so through the eye of faith, as Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. And why? He was glad. Why? Because Abraham, like us, his salvation was dependent on whom? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The only way we will be saved. And you can go back and look at the patriarchal period. You can go through the Mosaic Dispensation. Every single solitary person who has ever lived will be saved by one source. That's the blood of Jesus. That's it. That's why when we preach and teach the gospel, it is imperative that people become members of the body of Christ because salvation is in Christ, salvation is in the church of Christ, and the blood of Christ is available to those who are in Christ and His church. That's it. Now, having said that, let's look again at Galatians chapter 3. I want you to look at one other verse very quickly. In Galatians chapter 3, note if you would, verse 9. In Galatians 3, verse 9, Paul said, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Back in chapter 15, what was it God said? Abraham believed God. It was counted, reckoned to him for righteousness. God could deem Abraham righteous. On what basis? On the basis of an obedient faith. And Abraham was declared righteous 
before the giving of circumcision, prior to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And so God justifies people. His intent was to justify people through the law of faith, Romans chapter 3. And so now Paul is making the case in Galatians chapter 3 that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. That means those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we are sons of Abraham, aren't we? We are heirs according to the promise. Now drop down again, look at verse 25. You remember back in verse 19, well, look at verse 18. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Jesus was the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus was the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And many other passages as well. So down in verse 19, Paul raises the question, what purpose then did the law serve? He said, well, it was added because of transgression till the seed should come. What seed? The seed of Christ. Through whom? Through Abraham and through Sarah. And it would be through this couple that all nations of the earth would be blessed. And so down in verse, well, Paul says that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. The intent of the, nothing wrong with the law. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said the law is holy and just and good. The problem wasn't the law. The problem was living up to the ideals of the law. And so in verse 25, Paul said, you're, he said, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And it's in Christ that we enjoy equality, don't we? The equality that we enjoy in Christ doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender. Why? Because in Christ we are all one. Now you remember what God said to Abraham? That in you all nations of the earth will be blessed? In Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah talked about the coming of the church. He saw the church as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. That was God's design. God's design was to save both Jew and Gentile in one body under God through the cross. Who then was the foundation upon which this promise was realized? Abraham and Sarah. Now look again at Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Abraham and Sarah, they were spiritually minded people, weren't they? They realized in their heart of hearts, this earth is not our home. They had migrated to the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey, but they understood there is something greater, something better than this physical piece of land in Palestine. Well, what is that? It's what we call heaven, isn't it? We're looking for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. In verse 16, But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has, a, he has prepared a city for them. Now verse 17, Yes, Abraham was called, Abraham and Sarah, Yes, there was some confusion. There was clarification. There was a covenant given. But then the consecration of this man. Verse 17, 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac shall your seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Let me just hit the pause button here for a minute. Imagine you've been waiting, you had been waiting 25 years for God to fulfill His promise regarding the birth of a child. And God gives you a child at the age of 100. And now, years later, God said, All right, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to go to one of the, one of the mountains in the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. It would take a lot of faith, wouldn't it? Would you have had the faith that Abraham had? I mean, you've been waiting all this time for a child. That child is born. That seed line that had been promised to you has been realized, and now God says, I want you to go and offer him as a burnt offering. Let me tell you what, Abraham had a lot of faith. Probably more faith than a lot of us. But his faith... I believe, was demonstrated at the, at the onset of the request. Look, if you would, again at Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 22. In chapter 22, the Bible says in verse 4, On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men that had traveled with him, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. That's faith. What was it the Hebrew writer said? He believed that God had the power to bring him back from the dead. Abraham is intent on fulfilling the will of God, come what may. His conviction is such that if he does this, somehow, someway, God will raise this child from the dead. And so they get to the appointed place. They've got the wood, they've got the fire, and now Isaac is bound to the altar. And I have no doubt that Isaac had, or rather Abraham had every intention of killing his son, his only son. But look at what the text says, verse 11. Well, verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord, I think the angel of the Lord in this context was the second member of the Godhead, the Christ. And Moses said that the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. A friend of mine and I were talking about this passage many years ago. My friend, who's now deceased, I have always thought of as a great student of Scripture. And I remember many years ago him saying to me that God called out to Abraham two times so that he might get the attention of that patriarch of the past. Because Abraham was that intent on slaying his child. Abraham manifested what? Faith? Yes. 
Obedience to the will of God? Absolutely. So with that in mind, look again at Genesis 22. And note what the record says. In verse 13, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. That ram became a substitute for his son Isaac. And you and I, we had one who was the substitute for our sins, Jesus. Here's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said that Jesus bore our sins, not his sins, he bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Jesus was our substitute, the vicarious suffering and death of Christ. As, Paul, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That it might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. So, the great meaning behind the sacrifice or the willingness to sacrifice Isaac. And then look at verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. In blessing I will bless you. In multiplying I will multiply your descendants. As the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. Now you talk about a pillar of faith. Abraham and Sarah demonstrated faith and obedience. Their lives were marked by faith. And so their lives stand as a biblical portrait to us today. As people who live by faith. And as the Hebrew writer said, these all died in faith, verse 13. So now you remember, let's just very quickly talk about the close of Abraham and Sarah's life. You remember... For example, in chapter 25, we read of the death of Abraham, but in chapter 23, Sarah lived to be 127 years of age. And the Bible says that she died in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And look at what is said. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. That says something about death. And what the devil did to the human family in the Garden of Eden. And how many people down through the ages have just as Abraham have wept and mourned for their loved ones. I have no idea, as I've said before, how many funerals I've done. Far too many. And the only comfort that I can derive in standing at the side of an open grave is to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And that one day, we like the great saints of the past, will be raised from the dead and ultimately will live with God forevermore. Now note 
chapter 25. Abraham, 175 years of age. And the Bible tells us that, look at verse 8. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. And then Moses said, and was gathered to his people. What people? I think Abraham was in the presence of Sarah in the Hadean realm. That may, you know, people today, they want to know, will we know one another in heaven? My answer is absolutely. Sure we will. When Abraham was gathered to his people, well, what people? Well, for one, Sarah. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop and Moses and Elijah appeared on the scene? They had retained their identity, had they not? They were well known. And so, when we leave this world, will we retain our identity? Yes. Will we be in the presence of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit again? Yes. But we'll also be in the presence of people that we have known and loved down through the years. We will be in the presence of all the saints that are in heaven. We'll be with all the great people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The list goes on and on. What a life. Moses said he died at a good old age. Abraham lived well and he died well, didn't he? I want to close by, again, directing your attention to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, where the writer said, These all died in faith. You can die out of faith or you can die in faith. You need to die in faith. As John said, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. And their works do follow them. I want to encourage you tonight, if you're not a Christian, to recognize that God had a plan in place before He ever created the world, before He ever made man in His own image. God had a plan to redeem. That plan included you and me. And so, if you will take the step of faith, if you'll walk in the steps of faith like Abraham and demonstrate an obedient heart, then you can become a child of the living God and you can become an heir to that promise that was made again 4,000 years ago. And listen, one day the Lord Jesus will come again. When the Lord comes, the dead will be raised. We'll be in the presence of God and it's in that beautiful city that we will live forevermore with all the great patriarchs and all the great saints of days gone by. So if you're here tonight and you haven't obeyed the gospel, I encourage you, in simple trusting faith, put your trust in Jesus. Believe that He is the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name, be buried with Him in baptism. Let God put you in the church and then be faithful. The promise is the crown of life. James 1.12. If you're here tonight, you're not what you ought to be, and you need to be restored, could we pray with you and for you? It might be you have troubles and trials in your life, and you just need the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to pray on your behalf tonight as we stand and sing.